Kurt, welcome back to another episode of PBT Extra. Um, let's talk about, first and foremost, the San Antonio Spurs. Go Spurs. It's got to be Spurs up top. Man. I mean, within within 20 seconds, I was like, let's just, like, let's not bury the lead. <laughs> all in. Go Spurs go. Uh, the biggest single game. This might be the only time I can celebrate with this much gusto. So please let me have this moment. Over the weekend, the San Antonio Spurs had uh, the, the biggest attendance um, ever for an NBA game. So they set this single game attendance record at 68,323 at the Alamo Dome. This is the 50th anniversary of, of the season. There's been an incredible um, series on YouTube, Kurt, called Ring of the Rowl, where they go through like these 10 or 15 minute episodes describing the the Spurs franchise from beginning to now and it just it's like this wonderful like it's like a time capsule and they're chronicling the entire history of the Spurs so this has been a wonderful season for me as far as digging into the archives and in that moment of like whoa the Alamo Dome flashback what did you think about the game yeah actually I thought that that was a really fun environment like they really did that part of it well and it was a throwback to I mean Early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, they, they played there. They played some games. I mean, they do. They still do Final Four stuff there, right? I don't know. If it, I don't remember the last time it's been. I know it's been there a couple of times. But, like, I thought it was a fun environment. The Warriors players who you know, were there seemed to really kind of enjoy it, too. Everybody kind of seemed to soak up the moment and have that the, the energy that comes with, like, that kind of fan size. So I thought it was awesome. I thought it was great. And uh, you even knew the guy who – came out and did the actual attendance announcement. Yeah, my dad. Yeah, he was like, I was watching him. Dad. Texted him. Uh, but, you know, it's funny because they recreated the locker room, too. And I got, you know, my family was there. Oh. And my dad was sitting at his locker and he sent me a photo. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Oh, that's awesome. uh, you know, they did also did the this moment of honoring Steve Kerr and Steve Kerr post game was saying, you know, almost like got a little emotional. Uh, they, they, they honored him. And then Steph Curry was like, it only took 68,000 people for us to, to have a great road performance. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was pretty great, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek from their superstar. Uh, so, I, you know, Steve Kerr, also something really interesting um, that I would love to hear your thoughts on. He, you know, obviously, as the head coach of the Warriors, um, is a, you know, he has to kind of build up his team, you know, promote them and all that jazz. But he kind of said something that is, is interesting. It's pretty shocking. And, you know, in, when, on paper, Steph Curry is the modern day MJ. Uh, he said, you know, I used to see this playing with the Bulls. Half the crowds got red 23 jerseys on. Now half the crowds got blue and yellow 30 jerseys. What do you think about that comparison? First off, Curry is the only guy who could make that comparison because he's actually lived both worlds, right? Like he's been the coach of the Warriors, but he was getting punched by MJ back in the day. Like he's been around, the, you know, he was in that circus with the Bulls. I took this, and I know some people wanted to start a GOAT debate about it and that I love Curry. He's not in that debate. But in terms of influence, and I'm curious what you think about this, but to me, in terms of influence of the culture, basketball culture and even ability to influence outside the culture and, and be a name people know. I think that that's actually a pretty apt comparison. I, if you go to, and, and he's, this is what Kerr said, but I mean, you go to a Spurs game anywhere. I mean, a Spurs game, sorry, a Warriors game anywhere. There are so many, not just people in Warriors gear. There are 10 to 16 year old kids 
all wearing Curry jerseys, all getting there an hour early to watch him warm up, who have who are going to go back out to their AU slash junior high teams and start launching threes. But, like, I think he's really impacted the game in a way Jordan did in that everybody kind of wants to emulate him. Hmm. Yeah, I, I once again, you're right. Steve Kerr is the only person on planet Earth. Well, I mean, there's probably like 15, but I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> let's be honest, but th- that could actually see both sides and give it give yeah. an accurate kind of take on, well, what does Steph Curry mean to basketball and what does Michael Jordan mean to basketball? However, from my perspective, um, I don't I don't see it. I, I personally yeah. think LeBron is probably the closest thing to the modern day MJ. One, like he's a billionaire, like athlete, yeah. right? Just like Michael Jordan. Then two, like the brand aspect of like the LeBron brand, I think is on the same level of Michael Jordan. And also when you watch Michael Jordan, he did things physically that didn't make sense. Like, you know, like the way that he, people would say he levitated. They they called him Black Jesus. (laughs) Like like that's still one of the craziest nicknames ever. Uh, So with with LeBron, they called him the chosen one. I I feel like what he did physically and what he continues to do physically in his late 30s is mind blowing. Like it doesn't make sense. You can't really emulate Michael's game and you can't really emulate LeBron's game. Steph's game, I think, is more along the lines of, you know, like um, I I agree. I think in terms of like changing basketball, he certainly changed basketball. uh, No doubt about that. But I think he is more like a Tim Duncan to me. You know, people are going to say like Tim Duncan is the greatest power forward to ever play the game. I think they're going to say Steph Curry is the best shooter like oh, yeah. to ever play the game. I'm not even yeah. sure that's a debate anymore. Like it's, 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 it's yeah. But sorry, sorry, Ray Allen and Reggie Miller, but the debate's over. But but I think, I think it's more like that kind of like, I think Steph and Tim to me are in the same kind of category of like these transcendent players who everyone recognizes their greatness. They have like four or five championships, all these accolades, you know, and it's just like, it's undeniably like fa- it's factual. Tim Duncan is the greatest power, power forward to ever play. Like there is no conversation. Like Steph Curry is the greatest shooting guard, like to ever, or no point guard. Sorry, shooter to ever play. Yeah, there is no conversation. First off, I think too many people forget about Duncan because he wasn't the guy who promoted himself, and and doesn't still like he's perfectly. I mean, he's been around a little bit, but he's perfectly happy to kind of be out of the spotlight. Um, I think sometimes people forget how absolutely dominant he was, and just the ridiculous numbers he puts up. I will say this about Curry, too. Even compared to MJ and LeBron and Giannis and anybody else, people relate to him because he's 6'3 and kind of skinny and doesn't look, look – LeBron was touched by the gods, right? Like Michael was Michael. So, I mean, and it's hard to think – Man, I could be Kevin Durant. I'm seven feet tall and can shoot over my head. I'm like you, you don't. Nobody's. You can't picture yourself, but you can picture yourself like Steph Curry a little bit. You can't. And I think this was part of the attraction to Derrick Rose, Allen Iverson. Like mm-hmm. you can see yourself in these. I mean, Curry's not short. He's six three, but I mean not ginormous guys who who were able to do all these things. And now nobody can do all these things or they would, right? Like, but you can, you can envision it more as a fan than I think you can with some other NBA players where they are so phenomenally physically gifted. You can't picture yourself that way. And, and Steph seems human, which I think is, is something that like Michael Jordan did not seem human, you know, like, and like in LeBron also, even though you see his family and you, you know, he also seems like, 
like you said, like touched by a divine force. Like, you know, like with Steph, clearly, you know, he's talented, gifted beyond imagination, but he went to Davidson, you know, people still overlooked him, you know, people still kind of slept on him, that underdog mentality, you know, Aisha, like, you know, his kids' names, you know, like you feel like you're a part of the family, or at least you know them, or they could be neighbors. Like, I really, I think you're right. They do feel very relatable. Um, and, and I think that some of the other guys, especially Michael Jordan, I mean, he, like, I don't know if many people would say, oh, yeah, I relate to Michael Jordan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I by the way, you, I, I love the Currys as neighbors because if Aisha could cook for me, that would oh. <laughs> be so cool. Think, yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, speaking of, to, just to transition, speaking of players that are a little undersized, were overlooked, kind of forgotten, and turned out they can flat out ball, Fred Van Vliet is kind of the, uh, Wichita State undrafted made, undrafted made his way through and uh, is the focus of Corey's jukebox this week. Yeah, I, I mean, we're I only have one this week and, and I wanted to focus on the Toronto Raptors generally because, you know, we, we don't really talk about them that much. Yeah, they're, they're not getting a lot of love. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're they're not doing so hot, but, (laughs) but I kind of just wanted to, I wanted to focus on Fred. And I think the best way to do this is by introducing our musical artist, D'Angelo. If you've listened to the album Voodoo, first and foremost, it's a masterpiece. Full stop. But it's one of those masterpieces. um, It's a patient masterpiece. You have to be patient with it. The music. Send it on is a song. I think kind of encapsulates this moment that we're just that we're watching that we're witnessing with with the Raptors right now so Fred Van Vliet yes he can ball he just you know put up 39 against uh the Bucks recently and we see those moments of just like man Fred Van Vliet's dropping 40 Fred Van Vliet's doing you know, all these things right he has that kind of chip on the shoulder he's kind of built himself into one of these these players um who has created a nice niche for himself in the NBA but the Raptors are in this kind of like I think a post Kawhi moment where they're figuring out what we do right now does not work. Who are we willing to give up? Because they're not going to give up Pascal Siakam, right? Like Siakam is like Pascal, is like, he is their all NBA guy. He is giving you basically, I mean, a 28 point, almost triple double every game. Like he's averaging 28, eight and six, right? He's kind of grown into that player. And he was that player when Kawhi was there as well. But I think he's taken another level. Um, I always kind of put him in my mind with him and Bam Adebayo. Uh, and I think Bam's kind of stayed as the secondary focus to Jimmy Butler, whereas Pascal kind of like assumed the throne, but it still feels like Fred Van Vliet's team. And I think that is where the Raptors are probably going to like look ahead of this trade deadline, or at least in the future, we have to send it on. Like we, we, we have to move on here. And we, what does that look like? You know, you have OG Ananobi, you have Scotty Barnes, I think Fred Van Vliet with his salary at 21 million, that's an expensive salary for, you know, for what he can bring to this team. And recently it's just not been working. So I thought, okay, I think it's time. I think it's time. Yeah. I think his trade value, I don't say trade value, the trade interest in him is perked up in part because he's had a down year. So teams think they can step in for him. He's, he's shooting under 40% for the season. He's still averaging, like, I think it's 18, 18, yeah, 18, but he hasn't been as efficient as he has been in the past for whatever reason this year. And I think teams thought they could sneak in and get him on the cheap. And I don't think the Raptors are going to – Masai Ujiri isn't the guy who gets fleeced. So I'm not sure that that's how that goes. But I, I, I agree with you that they've reached a point 
where whether it's this whether it's this trade deadline or this summer that they need to make some serious changes. And by the way, Fred Van Fleet's up for, I mean, this is the last year of his contract. I believe, I believe he's unrestricted after this. They could extend him, but he's going to make Jalen Brunson or better money. Actually, turn down Jalen Brunson money. I think he offered him four one fourteen. He turned it down. He wants closer to Tyler Hiromo. So like $30 million a year, give or take. He probably gets it on the open market somewhere because some team is going to look at him the way the Knicks looked at Brunson and said, yeah, that's a lot of money, but look how he stabilizes us. Look how he just brings yeah. everything together. So and I don't know. I'm curious. And I think for the Raptors, it becomes a challenge of like, he means a lot to us, but if we're tweak, if we're going another direction, is he part of that future? I know this is the, the business side of it. That is very difficult. Remember when Kyle Lowry left? Remember when DeMar DeRozan yeah. left? I mean, there are these moments where you're like, man, these guys are Raptors. Like they, they kind of embodied the franchise for a long yeah. time, or they kind of stepped into what it meant to be a Toronto Raptor. It's hard to see them go, but you're right. This, this is, it's clearly not working and it's yeah. clear and they have talent. And this is the, 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 like, it's kind of interesting. You're like, well, you have talent, you have the alignment, that rare alignment of owner GM and coach where, I mean, everyone's like esteemed. Everyone knows what they're doing. Why isn't it working? And you've been patient. But I think the the key thing here is the Raptors, they play a style that, uh, well, first of all, the NBA talent wins championships. And you and I, I mean, we can we can be, beat around the bush, but if you're looking at Siakam, Van Vliet, and Anobi, like, is that – does that compete against Boston? Does that compete no. against the Warriors, the defending champs? Does that compete? I mean, against the Suns. I mean, you can kind of go down the list. Does, it, does that compete against the Grizzlies or the the Nuggets? Like just talent wise, you're missing Giannis, you're missing Jokic, you're missing Tatum. You don't have that guy, that supporting cast around Kawhi Leonard, who is that guy. He is that level. You win a championship. Yeah. Without Kawhi, you're just you know you're sitting at the 11th spot of the, the NBA standings in, you know, in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, which is why it's going to be interesting to see what direction they end up going this summer. Do they do they make a Kawhi-like swing at some player, or do they modify it other ways? It's, it's Messiah Jerry is too smart for people like me to predict him. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be wrong. So it's interesting with Fred though. So Ben Fleet, to me in my mind, he's kind of like that third option. You know, I think again, once again undrafted to get to where he is, you know, making $21 million a year. And then, like you said, potentially can command $30 million on the open market. I think that's too much, but whatever. I, I think that he is squarely like a Drew Holiday type of player for somebody, you know? I, I think like what, what you don't want to make the mistake here is like Tobias Harris with the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, like there was a time when Tobias Harris was like one of, like I think the top paid player on the 76ers for a second or like the second top well, paid player. Right. And it, it was kind of like, aren't you the third option of this team? You know, like, so, so that's kind of, that was a moment for exactly. And it kept going down. So I think this is for Fred Van Vliet. I think he's kind of like squarely a, a guy. I mean, he's averaging 18 points, you know, four and six, like, you know what he can do for you. You know, he can bring that stabilization. You know, he's has that fight. So he's kind of like, to me, the perfect kind of like Drew Holiday type of guy who can come in and add immediate value and help you win that championship, but you don't build a franchise around him and he's not your second option. No, no. And that's the numbers get weird now, don't they? Because we're like, hey, he's a $30 million a year fourth option. <laughs> like where the salary cap's going. That's not even like necessarily a bad investment anymore. Like That's, yeah, that's like, a good point. That's a very like, good point. The salary cap is getting so crazy that, that 
I'll tell you, teams, and I, I know SportTrack does this, but like teams often don't talk about the number anymore. It's percentage of the cap. Uh, mm-hmm. That guy's only making 6.2% of the cap or he's making 24% of the, whatever, because that number is more, it doesn't blow your mind like $30 million. No, that's a very astute point. Yeah. And then I think with the Raptors too, this is something that I'm curious to see because Siakam's 28. So, I mean, he's, he's in his prime. We're going to get that moment of like, this is the litmus test. You know, are you, I'm, I'm using the box an example, but like, you know, are you a Chris Middleton or are you Giannis? You know, like this is one of those moments. I, I think we saw this with New York where, you know, Julius Randle appeared to be the most approved player. He could, he be the franchise guy for the Knicks to bring them to the promised land, got them back in the playoffs, you know, like that kind of atmosphere. Right. But can he take them there? And I think that there is like a, a plateau that, that, that the Knicks have reached in that sense. Um, so I think with with Siakam, I'm curious, you know, where does where do you see him? Do you think he can be your true number one franchise player, or do you think he's kind of like a like a like a number two option? Yeah, one A or two. Yeah, like I don't want to knock him because he's we're talking about what I truly believe is a top fifteen player in the league. But I think to win a title, you've got to have another top seven or whatever, you know, top six, top seven, top eight guy next to him. Um, maybe if you had a deep enough supporting cast, you could get away with it. But I, I think you've got to have, I, I'm just not sure he's the true number. I'm not sold. He's a true number one, as great as he is. Yeah. And, and once again, like it's a, very difficult to make the NBA. It's very difficult to have a career in the NBA and it's very okay. difficult to average 28 points a game. But like you said, without Gabe Vincent, it's so interesting. Or, uh, Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, there are guys who can go, you know, they can score 30 points. Like this is the NBA. Like everyone can have those kind of nights and those kind of performances. And then on another level, there are teams that like you need a leading scorer. And on a bad team, you're sitting the 11th in the Eastern conference. Someone has to average 28 points a game. You're still losing games, but someone's got to do it. So I think that some of these stats are, you know, kind of like misleading to a certain extent, but I do agree with you. I think that Pascal next to Kawhi equals championship. So I'm curious to see how the Raptors think, well, who is our next Kawhi? And how do you keep them? <laughs> right. I, I think they were hoping it was Scotty, and he's – we'll find out. It's too early in his career to say yay or nay, but, I mean, he's he hasn't leaped forward in his second year like they hoped. So hmm. so let, let's talk about uh, the G League, shall we? Yeah. And also, we're, we're rapidly approaching Oscar Weekend, um, Salt Lake City. Very exciting. I know you'll be there. Uh, Matt McClung. He's going to make history. First G League player to compete in the slam dunk contest. What do you think? Two things. It, Matt, for, I know there was some pushback on social media about this. Matt McClung is just fun. If you've watched him at Georgetown, if you watched his high school McDunk mixtape stuff on YouTube that's still out there, or just saw him at, like I did this year at Summer League, I'm like, man, he's just fun to have around. I'm not sure he's an NBA player. He's like, he's he's, he's had a couple coffee. He's been in a couple games. But He's fun. He is bouncy athletic and he just gets up and he's got all these great dunks. And I don't, Corey, we've talked about this. I'm all for this personally because the dunk contest needs energy. It needs something every year to change it. And I, if, go, if dipping into the G league and bringing up some guys that are dunkers, but maybe not NBA players is what gives it that little spark, then Bring them on. Yeah, I, I disagree. I, I understand what you're saying because it does need energy. 
<laughs> I, think we, I agree with you on that. And we, you, our thoughts can you, on the. Can you still dunk? Can, I can still dunk. I can do. Okay. I mean, I, I used to in my prime. I could do a windmill. That was like my best dunk. All right, but I was like my only dunk. I'm gonna call you Claude now. <laughs> yeah, now, yeah, now I can't do that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I think with the with the dunk contest and the All Star Weekend in general, I'm gonna walk back some of my my previous positions. I love how the NBA experiments. I'm all for that. I think that takes great courage to experiment and go first. It's like the plum blossom. Like, you know, I love going to the Met and the Chinese um, painting practice. There's this whole practice of just like painting plum blossoms. Scholars love these plants because they had the courage to bloom early. They were the first plants that bloomed in winter, the dead of winter, while everyone else uh, was afraid to bloom clearly because they were like, we're going to die. And then all the other flowers would would uh, would follow the plum blossoms and they're beautiful and pink and they have like, you know, this courage and elegance and resilience around them. So there's, I'm not even kidding, an entire genre of painting that's just ink painting plum blossoms in ancient China, which is incredible. But so I think the NBA is like the plum blossom of the, of the sports world. Love that. However, I do think that there needs to be some pruning here with All-Star Weekend. This is about the best players in the league which should mean that these, this is about the best players in the world. And I think that there has been a little bit too much of entertainment and not enough basketball, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I hear so you. So I think they need to start returning back to like, well, what is the point of All-Star Weekend? It's yes, to engage our fans. Yes, it's to, you know, like talk about basketball history and expand the blueprint of the, of the, the footprint, excuse me, of the NBA and the league and all of our affiliates, WNBA, the G League, everything that we do around the world. Um, and export that product. But the way you export that product is like, look at history. 92 dream team, you send the best players in the world and they go beat everyone by 40 points. Yeah. Like that's how you that's how you grow basketball. You don't grow basketball by inviting G League players to dunk. I get that. I do get that. I just think that All-Star Weekend, personally, man, I'd bring in professional dunkers. Like the guys who don't even like, just go around because I, I, that is a the showcase event on Saturday night. And not every year. You, sometimes, some years you get the Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon masterpieces. But too many years, you're like, Ugh. and it's a vent, by the way. If I'm in person and going, hmm, then it, on TV, it doesn't translate. Like mm -hmm. the, the dunks that translate to TV are huge or I don't want to say prop driven because those don't always work. But Stuff that even works in, because you get the sense of the athleticism in person doesn't necessarily translate. The, the, I mean, what we love about John Morant, who is – this is the other half of this discussion, the stars that won't do the dunk contest anymore. But part of what we love about, like, the monster John Morant dunk this week was it was over somebody, right? Like, there was somebody in his way contesting it, and he did not care. He was going through it's hard to make that work the same way in a dunk contest, isn't it? Where oh, I guess I can jump over a Kia, but like, what else? Are you, what are you doing? Yeah. No, I, I think that when I think about the greatest dunk contests, you know, it's Michael Jordan versus Dominique Wilkins, two yeah. franchise players who are both, you know, human highlight reels who are just like competing against each other. Right. I think what happened now is that I don't see, you know, LeBron going against John Morant in the dunk contest. That would be crazy. You know, like that would be awesome. It's more like, okay, this is a show. 
you're not really competing against each other. There are young faces that you don't necessarily know. Okay, Obi Toppin's going to go against, you know, Anthony, like Simon. So you're trying to like figure out like who are these people? And then everyone's doing too many props and not competing. It's not like a one-on-one. That's what the old dumb contests felt like. They felt like Dominique versus Michael. You yeah, know? It, it, it definitely has gotten away from that because I think, I think in part because they see it as tarnishing. It tarnishes Jaws brand if he doesn't win this thing. Well, I'm not sure that that's the mm-hmm. case, that's honestly, if he puts on a good show. But I think that perception exists that if you don't, and I don't think that, again, I don't think that's necessarily fair, but I think that the reality of these guys managing their brands is, hey, I, I've got to, I've got to, I go to, I don't even go to the NBA YouTube page. They've already, I can tell you right now, they have like Jaws 10 greatest dunks popped up after, after he added to it in the last couple of weeks. So um, I I think that with that, those guys get careful. And so for, it becomes, uh, I'm trying to think of, Oh, Shaden Sharp's doing it this year. Shaden Sharp out of Portland. Mm -hmm. It's number seven pick in this year's draft. Nobody's watching him because well, frankly, nobody's watching Portland. Um, Young, athletic, bouncy, fun, real potential there. He's been – I wasn't quite sure what to expect because that's the kid that never played at Kentucky. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he just enrolled and then left. Yeah, and he's, he's looked pretty good. You can see the potential there. Hey, here's a chance to get my name out there, get my brand out there. I'm going to go out on the dunk contest. So, like, those are the guys doing it when what we want, like you said, we want – Giannis versus like I want you know I'm saying like yeah, exactly. the dunk yeah, contest I love is that like, said 38-year-old LeBron because if he won it that would be hysterical and like not impossible. <laughs> it'd, it'd be like Phil Mickelson when he won that that, yeah, that exactly. you know like that like major. It's like he won it at 50 or Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl in his 40s. Yeah, I I think what, what you're saying is is completely on par. I, I think yes, I understand this is like a star making moment because you look at like Oh, some of the greatest moments in dunk contest history, like they became iconic, like Vince yeah. Carter, you know, Vince Carter and Jason Richardson and all. you yeah. can go. Through the, but those people like Vince Carter was a franchise player. You know what I'm saying? Like he already, you know, so it's, so it's a little different, I think. Vince and, Carter and already had the best dunk anyone's ever had. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. So I, I do think with, with this scenario, I, I think you focus on, well, what, what's our bread and butter? It's the best players in the world putting on a show for fans all over the world who want to see the best players do incredible things and go head to head. Like that's why I think the three point contest is interesting. The three point contest has become the new dunk contest because Steph Curry wants to do it and it doesn't tarnish his brand. You know, like he'll go and do it. And like, if he loses Carl Anthony Towns, he loses, you know, like, but like these guys, like they compete, the best shooters in the world compete. And that's exciting. Like, so that I think the best franchise athletic players, like, should do the dunk contest and compete, that would be exciting because that's what it was. That was the original dunk contest concept. I, w- I agree with you there, but I will say this. If those guys aren't doing it, hey, you're going to fall in love with Matt McClung. You know, like he is, he is going to be fun. Producer Dan knows who we were talking about. He is, he's a guy who can get up and, and throw it down. So it, it'll be a good show, Corey. Yeah, I mean, I'm still going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's talk let's talk kurt's corner shall we yeah um i know you you're you're you just released an article tell me what what do you want to talk about today in kurt's corner it's a lot of trade talk yeah i think we were going to go there it's i it's for as we just had a whole conversation about man they need to get back to basketball the part of what the league has become is a transaction league It, it the and i don't think this is just the nba by the way although i think they've embraced it it is hey man 
pro football talk at NBC Sports, it's more traffic during the offseason than it does during the season when guys are when it gets close to the draft, when trades are happening. That that's fans are eating that up these days. So we'll talk a little let's talk a little trade and transaction. I know John Wall was at the top of the list. The Clippers, he's been a great story, right? Like finally seeing John Wall play basketball has been fun, right? Like mm-hmm. The Clippers need a spark. Well, what they really need is their star players to show up every night. But aside that, like they need a spark. And so they're open to trading John Wall to get um, their, a backup big or some wing depth. Um, they think that they can handle the point guard position better. Terrence Mann has really stepped up for them. Um, and that's part of the problem. They, they're open to trading John Wall for someone like Nerlens Noel. The problem is right now everybody's calling them going, yeah, we want Terrence Mann. Uh, we want the young, athletic, promising guy who just moved into the starting lineup. So I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's kind of where mm-hmm. where it, it is with him. There's a whole lot of other guys. You know who's available, who's getting a lot of buzz right now. We'll go back to your Spurs. Jakob Pertl. Yeah. I mean, I know you – first of all, you say Jakob Pertl's name more than I think – I mean, I know a lot of Spurs fans. I think you say it more, more than a lot of Spurs fans. So why, why is Jakob uh, getting so much love right now? Why, why do you think? A, quality, solid big man, right? Like you can just – he's. I think it's 13 points a night, eight boards. Not a great defender, but a decent defender. But he's in a situation where he's a free agent after this season. He's making $9.4 million this year. He will make more than that next year, I I know his agent's pushing $20 million out there. It might not quite get that high, but he's going to get a healthy contract and a healthy raise, and he's going to have options. The Spurs would I've, – look, I've heard the Spurs would like to keep him and pair him ideally. You know, you go knock on wood somewhere, Spurs fans. You land Wembayamba, who's technically a center, but is really going to be a four, right? You've got to put a traditional big next to him. A big next to him. You can see that fit. But Pirtle wants he's in his twenties, man. He wants to start playing for something too, and he's a free agent, and he's going to have options. So they may need to trade him to get. It's trade. It's one of those if we don't trade him now, he's going to walk for nothing situation. Mm-hmm. And so they are asking for two first round picks, and everybody's going, yeah, no, no, we're not doing that. So we'll see what happens. But the Celtics are interested. Uh, Robert Williams obviously misses time; is coming off an injury. Al Horford's not young. Um, so they could use another. I don't know if they'd want to pay him next year and how they'd work that out. But uh, the and our our friends, the Toronto Raptors, previously discussed, have actually been interested, and there are other teams, Clippers and others, in the mix. So Yaka Pertle comes up. Another name, by the way, in your neck of the woods in New York, Cam Reddish. Hmm. Um, not exactly a Tom Thibodeau favorite. Hmm. Put it that way. Um, he's absolutely available and probably for a second round pick. I, I if. He is very, very high on my list of guys who will actually get traded um, out there. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other. I mean, we talked about Fred Van Vliet earlier. The guy who probably gets moved for sure out of Toronto is Gary Trent Jr. Yeah, he, his, his salary, I mean, you're looking at right now 17.2 yeah. base. And who doesn't need a 6'5 wing who can shoot threes and defend? Like that, that, That's kind of the gold standard in today's NBA um, they are moving on from him. And so there's all there. I don't, 
we don't have time, Corey, to list every team interested in Gary Trent. Like, yeah, but I do think Jakob Pertl is interesting because I think there's a couple teams in the league that I think I think the Miami Heat are also in the same boat. Um, but I, I do think that there are teams that do a great job of kind of like they're like a garden. And the rest of the league kind of just plucks, you know, and I think yeah. the Spurs have been that historically the past yes. 20 years with not only coaches and GMs, all that front office and all that jazz, but also with this like this idea of you can get Davi Spurtons and like the Spurs will raise them for you. And then you can come pluck them and bring them to Washington or bring them to, you know, like you can bring them all over the league and he'll help you succeed. Uh, he'll fill that role. Same thing with Corey Joseph. Remember, he went up north. Yeah. Toronto, you had um, uh, Derek White. No wonder the Boston Celtics are interested in Jakob Pertl. I thought Derek White was a huge pickup. Oh my God, for, so good for the. So good for Boston. So you know you're going to get a guy who understands role and fit and play well for you. So that's why I think it's it's this is a long term, short term thing, and we can talk about this. But like, I think players and their agents need to understand this aspect of it, where it's almost like um, it's almost like getting a master's degree. You know, when you go to a good program and you spend two to four years there, you, you may be turning down more money, but you're actually going to get paid you know, more money in the long term and actually like extend your career. Because you're going to, you know, Jakob Perto, how long would his career have been if he got drafted by the Pacers or by the Kings? You know, he got like, buried behind. Yeah. You go to the Pacers and you get buried behind Miles Turner and Devonta Simonis and we never hear Jakob Pertl's name. Yeah. And then the Spurs, you go to the Spurs, you get, even if you don't win games for that two to four year time frame, you know, you, you know, you're going to get that. Like, it's just like going to Harvard. It's just like going to Cambridge or Oxford or, you know, Yale. It's like, Hey, you went, you played under coach pop. You know how to, you know, like come yeah. on here. Like we'll pay you, you make $9 million. That's cheap for us. We'll, we'll pay you 15 million, whatever. And you'll help us win. And we know you're going to be a good fit. So I think that's something that a lot of these guys, when you think about trade, this is more of a meta thing. I don't think a lot of people think about, that short-term, you know, t- take a step back to get paid more and longer later. I think that there is, especially for a younger player like Pirtle, or like, there's a lot of guys out there who are more than money. And, and it's hard, and it's easy for me to say this because it's not my money. And, and I, you know, this, I don't, you've only got this short window as a professional athlete to make your money. But I think that you're right, that there's an advantage sometimes to taking advantage of the opportunity over money. Like, hey, but if I go here, I'm going to get, like you said, the education experience and the Spurs will give me a chance. The Spurs give will give me minutes. They will give me some of that. The, you know, I, I know that there's other writers who've used the, the B term, the royal jelly, to kind of grow the, 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 these players uh, over time rather than rush them. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that there is something to that. I'm not sure every player is in that position, and a lot of them – I'm not sure everybody thinks long term like that. They're like, "Hey, man!" But <laughs> I know, and I think that's from the issue. Four million dollars more, and like, it's a lot of money, man. Yeah, I know, but you're also thinking, well, when you're older and you have two or three or four years extra on the back end, you know, you're getting paid versus, you know, some of these guys, like we talked about, you ha- you may take the deal, but then you're in a scenario where you become a journeyman real fast, and you get on the G League, you go back and forth, and you go overseas, and then once you're overseas, it's basically impossible to come back. It's, yeah, it yeah. does. It does happen, but it's rare. So, yeah. I, so anyway, what about what about John Collins? I was, was going to get to a couple more guys, but I think one thing I wanted to make while we're talking meta points with yeah. this, with this whole trade cycle, it's not boiling, and it's kind of mm-hmm. on a low simmer. It's not heated up like it often does in terms of actual trades, and I think in some ways, I mean, there's some 
shifting things going on with teams. But I think part of this is what you get with the play-in, which is, hey, we are currently ninth or 10th in the conference. Let's say we're 10th or 11th. Hey, we can make the play-in and we can get a game and we can have some fun here. And the owners are kind of into this idea where if you cut it off at eight, you're like, yeah, we're out. Like, I think you get teams more willing to hold on mm-hmm. and get that spot and take a chance. Like, hey, we get into the play on play and we can, you know, we get a little lucky. We win a couple of games. Suddenly we're in the playoffs. I'd get some home games and some revenue. Like, I think you see more of that now um, than you did. And it holds things up a little bit. Um, not that that's necessarily bad. You're creating, you're trading things off, but it makes the trade deadline a little quieter. And this one is definitely, I mean, look, John Collins transition to might be the best player moved at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. And in past years, that's like shock miracles. In the past couple of years, yeah. it's been blockbuster, blockbuster, yeah, blockbuster. Not really happening this year. He's probably, he, him or Bog, Boyan Bogdanovich, whichever one you want to choose, might be the best player moved at the deadline, most most likely one. He's a good player, but I mean, he's not even an all-star, right? He's never, he's not making an all-star this year. He has not made it in the past. Um, he's young too, though. Yeah, he's young. No, I know there's a chance. The Jazz are the front runners for him. They are the team pushing hard for John Collins, which is interesting. It is interesting. Because... Lori Markkinen is probably going to be an all-star for them uh, in Utah. I, I, I think he makes the team – I think he deservedly makes the team, but this is also a case where the league will be like, hey, it would be kind of cool to put a Utah player in the game in Salt Lake, right? So I yeah, – But Markkinen, he, he's a free agent, 2025, unrestricted free yeah. agent. So, I mean, he's in the second year of a four-year deal. Uh, it's four years, $67.4 million. But it is an interesting question, you know, as far as, like, well, if you're the Utah Jazz, it's very clear you're in a rebuild. It's, like, yeah. super clear. So, are you bringing in Collins to play almost the same position as Markkinen? Like, why are you – that's an – they're well, going I, hard, but it's an interesting fit. I, I think one of those things where you realize and, – and this is – once again, we're, we're just being very candid here. Yeah. Someone has to score. And, you know, I, I think marketing is an interesting uh, player because I remember in 2020, I was in Chicago uh, just shadowing NBC Sports Chicago. And I went to some Bulls games and I was watching him play and watching him warm up. I'm like, this guy, such an interesting, like, yeah. guy, like physically, you know, like skill wise, like what has it? Why hasn't he made that leap yet? So I'm happy that he's having that moment. But I also understand very clearly, you know, look, the Utah Jazz is a bad team. He's kind of filled that role. Maybe he gets his all-star nod. This is probably peak trade value. Yeah. You know, and he's in a second-year deal. So you're thinking, if I can get John Collins, which we may believe he has more space to grow, just like the Atlanta Hawks thought initially he had more space to grow, maybe you say that's probably a better bet long-term than Laurie Markkinen, who we kind of have tape on, and we know maybe this is peak. And, and like, all-star, you know, franchise player on a bad team like that is a great like no that's like a huge height that few people have reached in their lives but i think if i'm utah i'm not building a franchise around him i think that your point about collins having room to grow is a really good one because that is a that is not a good environment and it is not necessarily easy to play with trey young and i let's not spend the time to go down that road but he is a guy who may be in a different situation does blossom with a and he they're not the only team looking by the way the wizards nets have been mentioned Pacers, um, who suddenly suddenly look like buyers, man. They, they would look like, which is kind of wild, because like, they weren't going to be right. Like we we all thought the Pacers were going to be one of the worst teams in the league, and suddenly we're like, yeah, there might be buyers at the deadline, and they look top six. Like they could yeah. easily avoid the play in. 
They were um, close there with Carlisle. They were close a couple of times. Like I, I, you could think, you could kind of see it, but they just were, you know, they weren't there yet. Then they made a couple of trades. You're like, I don't know. Yeah, it looks like it. No, they're they're right there. Um, and Boyan Bogdanovich is the other big name. Thirty-three-year-old uh, wing can shoot. Um, is a solid veteran, not a great defender anymore, but can do a lot of other things. And that said, the Lakers get mentioned a lot, but the deal seems unlikely. They want an unprotected first for Bogdanovich. We'll see. Uh, the Bucks get mentioned. The Pelicans get mentioned. The Cavs get mentioned. The Mavericks get mentioned. There's a lot of teams interested. Um, I think with that many teams interested, eventually they'll get what they want, but I don't know if they're going to get it from the Lakers. Hmm. Much to keep an eye on. Thank you, Kurt. So let's look at um, the, the final part of our show. This idea, you know, our, our producer, Dan, always throws in some crazy yeah. thing to end our show. We know there are a lot of records being broken. Um, LeBron is closing in on Kareem's uh, scoring yes. record most points ever, which I've is got amazing. A, down the line, we are going to talk about that. I've got some uh, really good stories coming up as we get a little bit closer uh, in early February when he gets close to that number. Uh, at NBC Sports, so just something to watch for. I've, we've been prepping for this. We knew this was coming, so, we, so we've been we have been prepping for this one for a while. I can't wait to read it. Uh, so, what is a world record? You know, maybe you want to take LeBron's title from. You know, maybe you want to take that title. What's a world, what's a world record that you would want? I was not physically touched by the gods. I am not, I'm not taking anybody. What else. a world record that would be if you started right now and took it yeah. from LeBron after he took it from Kareem. That would be an and amazing thing. Too, um, I started, when I saw that, I was like, man, what record could I break? And so I actually, then producer Dan sent me down a rabbit hole last night. Like all of a sudden I'm like Googling like records you can break and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like it was, it was way too long, way too many, like, could I eat 25 marshmallows in 30 seconds? I don't know if like, could I, would, would I eat it? So I went down this rabbit hole. Here's what I came with out with ultimately. Okay. Arrange the alphabet out of a can of alphabet spaghetti in three minutes and 21 seconds. I think I could do that. Wow. That's super niche. <laughs> <laughs> that is like the most niche thing. <laughs> I don't know how that became a record. But it's on the Guinness site. So wow, okay, that's a great record. That's a great record. I I was thinking, I didn't know about you. Thought you took a very practical tack. I did not necessarily think a practical tack. I was more just thinking more like, what do I like doing? <laughs> and, and could I do that? I don't even know what the record is for this. But I really like drinking tea, and I feel like I could drink, I could drink copious amounts of tea. I feel like maybe. Yeah. So maybe I would like to hold the record for like most green tea drink consumed in sitting i feel like that would be one that would be enjoyable you know or or like longest tea party <laughs> you know like i feel like that would also be an enjoyable one um yeah because some of the some of the records seem very taxing yes you know? oh, God, yes yeah that one though you would be up for like three days if you drank that much green tea right like you that's, that's a lot of caffeine, man. I did not think about that. The caffeine intake. Maybe it's a caffeine tea. What if I do peppermint tea? <laughs> I'll do a caffeine-free tea. I want to drink. I want to be the tea, the tea champion of like some peppermint tea comp like competition. That's what I would choose. Uh, there you go. I like that idea, Corey. That'd be fun. I, so I'm there to watch. The most, well, well, you know, our, Dan just told me. Uh, thank you, Dan. Apparently, the most cups of tea made in a in an hour is 249. Made or a lot of tea. There's no way that I'm making that many cups of tea. Like, you know, I'm not consumed, like, as far as, like, being a barista or whatever a tea maker is. I, I feel like 
I might, I might try it. I could. Doesn't seem doable, but I can try. That would require a lot of equipment, starting with 250 cups. Like, I don't even know. Oh, could you imagine how many all those kettles (laughs) boiling at the same time? It'd be like a train station. Exactly. It'd be nuts. Okay. Well, anyways, that's (laughs) now I understand why you got in that rabbit hole. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Let's take ourselves out of that real quick. Kurt, always a pleasure. If anyone out there wants to learn more about what Kurt and his team are doing, just go to NBCSports.com slash NBA. Plenty of updates. We'll also keep an eye out as we approach All-Star Weekend. Um, and LeBron getting close to eclipsing Kareem in that mark. Lots and lots and lots to look for. And how can we miss the trade deadline? All to come. See you next week, Kurt.